Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jumpstart. Our world is changing fast, and in a time that is forcing positive change, my friends at Jumpstart, a national early education nonprofit, believe that the need for the quality education will only increase, with nearly 25% of all children across the country living in poverty and the widening opportunity gap due to the extended out-of-school time. Jumpstart, whose vision is every child in America, enters kindergarten prepared to succeed, teams up with 79 colleges, universities, and community partners across 15 states to provide early learning for over 13,000 preschool kids in underserved community. At the core of their work is literacy. Their global Read for the Record campaign in the fall engages over 2 million people worldwide to highlight the importance of early literacy and make high-quality books accessible for all children, no matter their color, socioeconomic status, or zip code. Read for the Record participants are encouraged to read the selected book on the same day. This year's campaign book, Evelyn Del Rey is Moving Away, teaches kids about the power of connection, lasting friendships, and coping with change. To all mamas, daddies, educators, book lovers, and beyond, you can support this crucial campaign by visiting readfortherecord.org to purchase the book, donate, or support a classroom in need. Pamela Redmond is the New York Times bestselling author of more than 20 books of fiction and nonfiction, including Younger, now a television show created by Darren Starr. Her new novel, Older, a sequel to Younger, is just coming out. The co-author of a groundbreaking series of books on names, she's a creator of Nameberry, the world's largest baby name site. A former editor and columnist for Glamour, Pamela currently lives in Los Angeles. Welcome, Pamela. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Great to be here, Zibby. Thank you. Of course. Your novel, Older. This is so funny as a sequel, of course, to Younger. Can you please tell listeners what Older is about? And it, the whole thing is like so meta. It's like the book about the show, which was a show of a book. It's like so crazy. So tell listeners what this book is about. You know, for a long time, it was difficult to even conceive of a sequel to Younger because the show takes the original novel so much further in the lives of all these characters and in the situations between them. Liza's lie has been revealed. Everybody knows that she is actually older. So, and the show is still going on. You know, it should actually be going on this summer. So there is no real end to those characters' lives. So when I had the idea to write a sequel, I thought, you know, it has to be set enough in the future from these characters' lives that Whatever is going to happen at the end of the show will have happened and they'll have moved a step or two beyond. And the book Younger ends with Alice, as she was called in the original book, becoming a writer, which is what she always wanted to do. And so it made sense that, of course, she would, even though she's a novelist, she would write a Romana Clef about this year she spent faking her 
identity as a millennial. So from there, it kind of was like, okay, so if she writes a book called Younger, then wouldn't Kelsey, who kind of logically might have landed in Hollywood and have made the transition from book editor to TV producer, option that and try to turn it into a TV show. So once I had that set up, the plot kind of unspooled from there. You know, Josh was my character and he's on the scene, but Charles is not my character. So with, you know, really broken heart, I had to let go of Charles. But (laughs) having a television show made from younger, I could create a character as an actor who is playing the character who is something like Charles. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It must get confusing. Like all the different, you know, it's crazy. The different plot lines and what you made up and what you didn't. And (laughs) Well, was it confusing to you reading it? No, but I have to say I have not watched every episode of Younger. What? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I wish I had. I might go do that no, now. In fact, goodbye. I think I'm going to take off and do it. So for me, it wasn't as confusing, but I would imagine if you watched every episode or I don't know, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not confusing. No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I have watched every episode and <laughs> in real time, you know, I don't write the show and sometimes Darren Starr sends me scripts ahead of time, but I don't know what's going to be happening. And I don't think the actors know either. I've read interviews with Hilary Duff, for instance, who's like, I don't know what season seven is going to be about. So, you know, I was only going to, I was kind of trying to guess, but I think you can have read the original Younger, have watched the show and then read older and it makes sense. Totally. I didn't mean to imply your novel was confusing. I just meant that I meant sort of simultaneously following a TV show based on your book and then writing a new book and picking up in the middle. That's it. No, this novel was not at all confusing. It was hilarious and I loved it. And it was just, it was perfect. And even just as a standalone novel, I mean, and speaking of Kelsey, you said there was a quote that I can't find, but you said, she said something about how TV is like the new book, right? (laughs) So tell me about that and how, like, how has your whole mentality on books in the literary world shifted now that you're watching what's happened to it sort of on the other side of this journey? Great question. I mean, you know, books used to be sort of the ultimate kind of creative endeavor for anybody who, you know, was sort of interested in fictional worlds and characters. And that has really changed. I mean, you know, television as everyone knows, has just exploded so much. There's so many shows and so many amazing shows that, you know, bring all these incredible talents to bear on an idea and on characters and, you know, just take it so much further than any book author can. I I just, you know, how can I do anything that comes close to what, you know, Darren Starr and Sutton Foster and Hilary Duff and Debbie Mazur you know, bring to this idea. But the thing you can do with books that you can't do on television, obviously, are get deep into your characters' feelings and into their thoughts. So, and it's it's a way to explore a theme in a more concentrated way that maybe is, is easier to grasp in itself. I think that the, the word theme makes everybody think of high school English and just automatically boring, you know? 
love talking about themes. I do this all day long. I love it. <laughs> Let's back up a little bit to writing younger because I feel like it provides the context of older. <laughs> when you wrote that book, like what made you originally come up with that idea and write that book, which then of course spawned this book eventually? You know, when the first time I met Sutton Foster, she asked me that question. And when I told her, all I can think of is this horrified look she got in her face because I thought, she, I think she expected to hear, you know, a nice story like, oh, I looked younger and, and people would mistake me for 26. And so I thought that would be a great story. But the truth is, I was reading Vogue when I should have been writing. <laughs> and I read a story about extreme plastic surgery. And, you know, apparently you could go to Uruguay or somewhere and, and get like such extreme plastic surgery that you would look like a totally different person. And as a fiction writer, that was very provocative. And I thought, well, you know, who would do that? Like, why would you do that? Why would I do that? And I guess what I thought is, well, you could, you know, look 25 again or 28 and go back and just start over, you know, leave your life and just go back and start over. So then I thought, well, what would I do if I started over? And, you know, I've never looked younger than I am, substantially younger than I am. I've never not been a working mom. So it wasn't like I, I wanted to recapture a career, but it was that I thought I would have, I would go back and take my career more seriously as a younger person, you know, it, to, to be 25 or 28. I think when I was really that age, I was, you know, wanting to get married, wanting to have kids, which makes a lot of sense. You know, the clock is really ticking. You don't have very much time to get all that together, but I, you know, I was a 50-year-old novelist trying to start, and I thought, wow, it would be much easier to do this as a young, beautiful, energetic person. <laughs> but then you wouldn't have had this great idea. I mean, you know, you might be young and beautiful, and you might look really great writing it, but maybe you wouldn't have an, as much to say. I love that idea. Look really great writing it. <laughs> right? I can just like, you know, a perfect, you know, coffee shop sort of visual, but you know, the, the, the words are pretty blank or it's like the same word over and over again. <laughs> I know. And probably if you look that great, you don't want to spend your time alone in a room writing a novel. Either. You probably wouldn't be alone for very long in that coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I'm getting like totally off track here. Exactly. So you started writing it. You had this idea. By the way, if you could go back, like what would you have changed yourself aside from like in your personal life? Not necessarily like career wise, but mm. is there one little thing? Is there one relationship? Is there one friendship? Is there one like some party you didn't go to you've always regretted? Like, is there just like a little thing from your past that you would like to do a, get a redo on? A redo. You know, I think like a lot of women, I would say I'd be more confident. You know, I'd be more ambitious. I would have fewer self-doubts, you know, which is something that I see in a lot of younger women now. You know, it took me all these years to get confident enough to say, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it. And it doesn't matter if X or Y doesn't like it or doesn't want me to do it. You know, I would I would start writing a novel and show it to a friend, you know, be excited and show it to a friend and they would say like, ah, I don't really love this. And I would be like, you're right, it sucks. I'm stopping. That's the end. 
And now I think about that and it's like, that is terrible. You know, it just seems terrible that I had not enough confidence on my own inner desires or compass to follow that no matter what someone else thought. Interesting. I do love the whole makeover element though. You know, this whole, not only can you go back in time, but in this, you know, when Liza comes out of the cabin in Maine and has to like horrifies her friends and it takes like five hours to whip her into shape again. And like, you know, (laughs) and she's like, no, my hair is fine. And they're like, no, 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 it's not fine. I feel like that is like complete like pandemic. It's like how everybody is now exiting their homes. You like captured it here perfectly. (laughs) It's true. It's true. We've all, although your hair looks great, but we've all been like sort of camped out, I feel like, in that way. I risked my life for my hair to look like this. It's for you. It's totally worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I have to find this funny part. This is when Kelsey and Liza go meet Stella Power at her house. And she's like having total hair envy, speaking of hair. And you and it's, you write, how do you get your hair to look like that? I blurted. She laughed exactly like Barbie might laugh if she could. Easy compared with sitting around all day being a creative genius. <laughs> and then you say, I think the hair is harder. I said, utterly fascinated. <laughs> and then you talk about like Liza's thinning hair and all of this. And then she says, oh, well, some of it's extensions. And she said, reaching up and fiddling around as if she were trying to tease out a knit and removed a huge hank of hair. I nearly screamed. <laughs> and then you go on. And then I had stem cells injected into my scalp to stimulate hair growth. It's amazing. I told Stella I'd never heard of such a thing. It's still experimental. Oh my gosh, so funny. It's just like <laughs> such a Hollywood, you know, parody, the whole thing. It's like... It was just great. And it, of course, goes on and on. So was your experience in Hollywood anything like this? Like, tell me about, like, did you have an initial intro meeting with the star that was anything like this? Or or, or can you not say? No, I mean, I no. Every star I've met <laughs> has been <laughs> very nice. But I think Stella Power kind of encapsulates a lot of things that really are true about LA or Hollywood life, which is somebody who's very nice on the outside, very beautiful, you know, sweet, down to earth, and yet they're, they have a will of steel, you know, and something like, the, I did meet someone who had those injections in her scalp and said, you know, oh, you have to do it, you know, it's, it's the best. And it, I'm from New Jersey, and New Jersey is basically the opposite of LA. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't look good. People are very harsh, but they're warm and they're real. And in LA, people are super nice. When I first came here, I thought like, God, everybody loves me here. It's great. And then I found out, okay, you know, maybe they loved me and maybe they didn't, but the way they acted and the way they felt were not necessarily the same things. Yes. There's a lot to be said for some authenticity. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like? And I don't mean to keep talking about this transition, but I feel like having such a big show is like a really big deal. And I talked to so many authors who are dying to be in your seat. <laughs> so this is like, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, I feel like for so many people. So when you found out your book was going to be a show, like what was that like for you? And how did your life change from what it was before to then now, essentially? Yeah. You know, it was kind of Unbelievable. I found out I was actually staying at a friend's house in upstate New York and I was working on another novel. And 
it was the day that I finished the other novel. I guess it was 2013. It was the same day, and I found out by reading it on page six. So nobody called me. It turned out my agent was away on vacation. Yes, and I I just sat there reading it like, what? Is this true? And then, of course, I know it's crazy, right? And then the way TV happens, you know, things happen in, in increments. So the first thing is there's a pilot order. So... That's what I read on page six. The show had been, the pilot had been ordered, I guess. And then it was six months until they shot the pilot. And I think it was the night before they shot the pilot, Darren Starr's assistant texted me and said, okay, so we're shooting tomorrow. Can you come to this spot? And of course I just said, yes. You know, I think it was three hour drive from my house. (laughs) I will be there. And it was just, I do remember this moment of, standing in this room and it's one it's the first episode of the show Liza's selling her suburban house and so you know the scene is that there's a real estate agent showing people her house which I don't think was actually even in the book and I was standing in the corner of the room and there are like you know 150 people in this suburban living room standing around watching the actors and it was just so surreal because I also remembered the moment that I had the idea You know, it was a very discreet moment. Not like, well, some ideas kind of morph over time. This idea kind of landed in my head, like from outer space. But that was incredible that all these people were making the show. And then the fact that it was a great show, it got picked up for a season and then it got ordered for a second season was just, you know, that that was pretty surreal. So it has changed my life in the sense that People know who I am, which they might not. If, you know, most people say to authors like, oh, would I have read anything you've written? And, you know, usually unless you're John Grisham or something, the answer is no, you you have no idea. People don't notice the names on books or on magazine articles. You know, I've written over 20 books. I've written hundreds, if not thousands of magazine articles. And I think I've met one person in my entire life who's recognized my name. (laughs) But people know the show. And so it's great to sort of get that moment of recognition or credibility. That's been good. It's such a shame. I mean, people might know the names of your books, but for people all over, you could be like, I think about this all the time when I'm like wandering around the city or I'm like sitting in a restaurant. I'm like, that person could have like written the book. I This is before I did what I do now, but like, who knows? Like that could be like the biggest person ever. And I just wouldn't even recognize them. Like a friend and I yeah. joked that we should start a magazine that was like celebrity pics of authors. Like who are they wearing? And you know, like, because really what authors do is so, I mean, it's no less of an accomplishment than what they're writers for TV do. I mean, no offense to writers on TV, but like everybody should be equally sort of lauded, but they're, it's so disproportional. So I don't know. I'll get off my soapbox, but. Well, it's a pretty, it's a pretty anonymous profession. You know, I, maybe some people become authors because they want to be famous, but that would be a very misguided reason. Yes, that's true. In fact, you know, maybe people like the anonymity, so maybe I should, you know. I've kicked my soapbox to the side now altogether. Forget it. (laughs) How has this experience changed your writing, if at all? Has it changed what you want to write about, how you write? 
Well, that's a really interesting idea. I mean, I think it's been really helpful and useful to be this exposed to and become this familiar with how a television show is put together. I love taking writing classes. And so I always take a lot of writing classes of all kinds. I find them just, you know, stimulating and ending. And so I've taken a few TV writing classes and those have really influenced me to, to plan a lot more, you know, create a much more detailed outline and really think through the story in terms of plausibility and causality in a way that a lot of writers or novelists are not trained to do or used to doing. So that's been very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and are we are you done with this set of characters now with this book or do you foresee more books about them or totally different types of things? You know, I'm writing a new novel now and I'm in the middle of that. It's totally different characters, but the theme of age is one that, you know, I realized at some point that I've written about in several different ways. I had a blog at one point called How Not to Act Old <laughs> and that became a book and that was a Times bestselling book. And that came at it from a totally different angle, which was a humor book. I was for a long time a columnist for Glamour magazine and I wrote a column called 30 Things Every Woman Should Have and Should Know by the Time She's 30. And that was very age related. And that became this sort of viral internet list. So it's something that even like long before I was actually an old person myself, I was thinking about age and how age influenced your life, your perception of yourself. You know, for women, I think it's, it's obviously so different than for men. And how you plan your life and how you fulfill your dreams as a woman is so connected to age. You know, you have this very short window in which if you want to get married and have children or just have children, you really can, you have to do it in this really tight time frame. And as you know, and, you know, I'm assuming a lot of people who are watching know being a mother is extremely time consuming. <laughs> You know, when I had my first child, I was an editor at Glamour. I was working on a novel at night when I was pregnant. And then the baby was born. And it was like, okay, so I have a full-time job and I have a baby. That's the end, you know? And it was many, it wasn't until I had three children then 11 years apart. And it wasn't until my third child started kindergarten that I started writing fiction seriously. Now, it's so funny. This fall, or, you know, my littlest guy, of four, I have four kids. He's supposed to start kindergarten. And, like, in my head for the last five years, I've been like, I just have to get him to kindergarten. And I'll have all this time. And now yeah. it's, like, a joke because, like, no one's going to be at school at all. And anyway, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess oh, God, my novel will have to wait. No, I'm kidding. But it's, like, yeah, the ability to stop getting interrupted so much cannot be underrated. The, you yeah. know, being able yeah. to just focus and get stuff done and... Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. To feel literally and figuratively free. I think when they actually go to kindergarten, you feel free in a way you don't if they're just with the babysitter. Yes, totally. Now that has been taken away from me and I am in mourning. <laughs> I would be, I would be really beside myself. I remember that last week of August every year. It that was the worst, just like waiting, waiting, waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any advice to aspiring authors? Mm. Well, one advice I'd give, you know, along these lines, especially to women, is 
you know, it's it's not too late. I think you kind of you look forward to that day when your youngest is in kindergarten, thinking it will be easy then. But then you're, you know, in your 40s maybe, or in your 50s as I was. I guess I was in my 40s, and it's scary. You know, it's it's scary to start something new at that age, and you can kind of talk yourself out of it and think like, oh, everybody's young. They're so far ahead of me. You know, I remember I signed up for a class in novel writing and, you know, I'd taken one 20, 25 years before in college. And I remember sitting in the parking lot about to go, I was so nervous. I was really almost sick. I thought to, you know, put myself out there as a beginner again, after a career as a journalist, I didn't know what I was doing. I thought, you know, they're all going to know how bad I am. I'm going to know how bad I am. You know, I'm going to find out how bad I am. And I think that fear is enough to stop you. But obviously, I don't think you should give in to that. You know, I think you should power through it. And I went to the class and there were a lot of people my age, actually, as well as younger people. So, yeah, don't let that stop. Don't let the age stop you is one piece of advice I'd give. And it is rare. It is a marathon. It's not a sprint. I see people who are trying to write something new and they're like, well, I've, you know, been writing this thing for three months and I don't know, is it ready to publish yet? And I think that, and I used to think about that too. You know, you you kind of have your eye on the product and it really should be on the process you know, on getting better, on getting used to it, on learning how to write fiction in a way or, or whatever it is you want to write in a way that will truly be both satisfying to you and commercially viable. Interesting. I just did an interview with Fiona Davis for her new book about the New York Public Library and the story there. And I was joking around and I was like, they should produce greeting cards that say like, happy 40th birthday, welcome to your 40s, now you can write a novel. Because I really feel like, yes, of course, people of all ages write novels, but I feel like there's something about getting a little bit older that that just changes everything and makes for much better fiction. So I actually think this is such a great thing for women as we all get older to know that it's there. Like, there's no rush. And I don't know, sometimes time you know can feel overwhelming if it seems like there's too much of it, right? <laughs> it's like yeah. so in demand, and then it's like, too much. <laughs> but knowing you can fill it all with writing and that like, this is your time. Like, I think there should be a public service announcement about it. Like, <laughs> now it's time you go. Like, <laughs> So anyway. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking recently that I'd like to do a class specifically for women over 40 on starting your first novel or your first book, because I think it is a special thing, you know, in terms of your self-image, in terms of just, you know, being a beginner at something that's really hard. You know, it's like it's like trying to become the intellectual equivalent of a ballet dancer or an Olympic athlete. You know, it's it's really hard to write a novel, but it's so rewarding and so much fun and anyone can do it. Yeah. And a lot of those other things. I mean, I think my ballet days have passed. <laughs> so many things <laughs> exactly. are now off the table. It's nice to know <laughs> that something has been added in that maybe you didn't have the spotlight shining on before, but 
that can yeah. be really rewarding and also help other people. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to talk about older. Thank you also for just making me laugh. I really needed that. And your book was really funny and clever and smart. And just, I just needed that laugh. So thank you. That oh, was great. great. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for reading it. And, uh, and great to be here. I love what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> bye bye. Coming on. Bye bye. Thanks again to Jumpstart, whose campaign Read for the Record begins this fall. Go to readfortherecord.org to purchase Evelyn Del Rey is Moving Away to help donate and support a classroom in need and help Jumpstart reach their goal of achieving early literacy for everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 